Welcome to Out of Order, the German Martial Fund podcast, where we discuss how the world was, is, and will be ordered. I'm Rachel Tausenfreund, GMF's editorial director, and today I'm joined in our Berlin studio by two of my Berlin buddies, Jan Teicher, who directs the Europe program here, and Suda David Wilp, who's the deputy director of the Berlin office and our premier Germany explainer to Americans. And that's what we're going to talk about today, Germany, because there's been a lot going on with the two big parties in terms of leadership questions, the future of the government in just the past few weeks. And uh, most recently and most surprisingly, on November 30th, the SPD party members voted in new leadership. Auf Saskia Esken und Norbert Walter-Borjans entfielen 1114.000. And, and who won was rather a surprise. I mean, most of the media, most of the people talking about it did not expect the two people to win, Saskia Esken and Norbert Walter-Borjans, who won, and they're considered kind of left outsiders of the party. So, Jan, I'm going to start with you. Where did this come from? It came from deep within the belly of the party. This is a party that has been agonizing about um, the, the true nature of what it means to be le on the left, on the political left, um, for 20 years almost. Um, since the Agenda Politik, this famous revamp of the German welfare state that Chancellor Schröder at the time did, this, this party has not really been at peace with itself. For a long, long time, you had people who made the case that, you know, we need to stay middle of the road. We can't succumb to the leftist temptation. Um, we have to stick to our guns and have and develop and maintain a mainstream appeal. And this was always unpopular with the party rank and file. And now they've had their moment. Uh, the party opened the contest for leadership up, made it subject to a member's vote. And so all, all these disgruntled folks out there wanted to stop this middle of the road, kind of muddling through following Merkel type politics, decided, you know, we need to do something. And they voted in the left wing option here. And now, you know, the big question is, first of all, what does this mean for the general direction of the party? And secondly, what does it mean for the for the grand coalition for Merkel's government? As, as Jan said, they opened it up to a member's vote. So un, unusually for the party, it was the base members who voted in new leadership. And we mentioned a bit that the SPD's in trouble. So um, talk about that. Why do, they, why do you think they might think that they need to change paths and, and not go with the centrist um, Scholz, for example? Well, I think Jan gave a very good assessment about the ills of the Grand Coalition, the so-called GroKo, and how the SPD has been overshadowed by the conservatives in you know three out of now four terms that Chancellor Merkel has been in office. I would like to add that I think that the charismatic head of the youth wing of the SPD, Kevin Kuhner, was definitely had a huge influence on this vote. He's been at the barricades about the ills of the GroKo for many years now, and, and he backed the team of Walter Broyans and Eskin um, to, you know, uh, guide the party in a different direction because he and others have seen that the SPD has lost a lot of support at the polls, whether it be in state elections here in Germany, whether it be during the federal elections over the past decade, or even um, during the European elections this past May. So I think it's a combination of, um, you know, his handiwork, but also the perception in the SPD that the GroKo is maybe good for Germany and the rest of Europe, but not necessarily good for the SPD. And we should also point out that only half of the 
approximately 450,000 members voted. Yeah, which to American listeners, half sounds like a really high number because this is about the numbers we get in federal elections. But in the German context, 50% is a pretty low number, a much higher number than that go to, for example, federal elections. And I wanted to just add some numbers to what you were saying. In um, At the federal elections in 2013, the SPD got 25.7% of the vote. The election 2017, 20%, 20.5%. Um, and now at the, or just a week ago at the end of November, they were polling at 14%. So there really has been a sense in Germany, at the very least since the decision whether or not to enter the Grand Coalition, that things are pretty desperate for the SPD. A big part of this is, I mean, a, a more leftward direction for the SPD, but it's also a question about the Grand Coalition. Can you explain the context of what it means that these two were voted in? Yeah, I mean, the second grievance, apart from this general sense of that we're not far enough on the left. The other grievance that the SPD has had, of course, is that they have been the junior partner in the Grand Coalition now on and off for three terms, and that this has been a hollowing out experience for them. The feeling that even though they can get a lot of their agenda through, that this is not really, you know, benefiting them uh, in the opinion polls or, you know, in the in the actual polls. And they you know, blame this partially on Merkel, who for some reason absorbs all of the successes of the Social Democrats into her own balance sheet. And for some reason, the SPD works and works and works and gets nothing out of it. And so the, the second big thing that they really want to get rid of is this participation in the, in the Große Koalition. At least some of them do. There is a pretty sizable chunk uh, around Olaf Scholz and most of the state governors in the German system who are much more wedded to this idea that you should stay in, that, you know, the SPD needs to demonstrate that it is responsible, that it doesn't kill a government that actually functions a lot better than most people think, and that by being actually blamed for killing a government, they might actually lose even more. And so this is the religious context uh, test that you have within the party. And so both Merkel, who's this kind of mythical figure that somehow killed us as the Social Democrats, uh, and that old, you know, left-wing, right-wing question, th those are the two agonizing things within the party, and, and they're they remain unresolved, I think. The vote for these two new party leaders is not the final word on this. That's not going to settle any of the scores. Uh, I don't think that the, you know, the more um, centrist, you know, folks within the party will have that snatched away from them very quickly. But it is interesting that the party wants to rejuvenate and, and thought that this was the right way to do so. So, do, so is the SPD going to retreat from the coalition next year? It's really hard to put a timeline on the Grand Coalition. We've seen so many forms of the Grand Coalition over the years. And as Jan mentioned, the SPD is sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place because if they do pull out and if there were snap elections, most polls are showing that the SPD would, could even sink down to 14%. And so they're better off staying and perhaps even accomplishing more of the agenda items they want. Now, of course, in order for um, uh, Eskin and Walter Broyans to have the credibility um, in the party, they're going to have to push for the agenda items they want. For example, they want more action on climate change. They want more reforms when it comes to pension. They want to increase the minimum wage, which is a new law for Germany. So we'll have to see how much they can push and how much the CDU and Angela Merkel will be able to take. Germany also t is in charge of the EU presidency during the second half of next year. So an election next year could be tricky. Suda, you mentioned the, the, the demands that the SPD will now bring to the coalition under these new circumstances. And this is part, of course, now of the wider kind of game between those two parties within within that coalition, who is going to end this thing? 
and who will ultimately be blamed for it. I think both sides at some point want out, and weakness has, is holding them together because none of them is particularly interested in new elections because the numbers don't look so great for either of the two. But at the same time, they also realize that this government has come to the end of its life cycle. So this is now a kind of who moves first, who blinks first kind of situation <clears throat> where the SPD will put demands on the table, the CDU will reject them, and then it's a, it's a game of nerves. Who can blame the other for killing this coalition? So I think what we will see probably over Christmas and then into the new year, uh, is this kind of ritualistic blaming of the other side and testing, you know, how far you can go without being blamed yourself for destroying the government. And and it's a, it's a highly psychologically charged situation. Apart from all of the political issues, we also have that going on. And this is what makes the German political market so interesting at the moment. I mean, the dynamic of is the coalition going to stay, who's going to pull on what is, is interesting. But also we haven't talked about the other party in the coalition, which, you know, which itself has a lot of sort of uncertainties. You know, there's the new head of the party, uh, Annegret Kaumbauer, who I'm going to call AKK from now on because it's just easier. And she's sort of Merkel's heir apparent, but she hasn't had an easy run. I mean, she's now uh, the defense minister, which is the ejection seat of the cabinet, basically. That's the toughest spot to have. And it either makes you and breaks you, mostly breaks you. She hasn't been having an easy time of it. And there was some drama around the um, CDU party meeting, which also happened in sort of late November, around the leadership question, basically. So, Suda, what happened there? Yeah, I think there were questions about Akaka's ability to lead the party and be the chancellor candidate when there are new elections in 2021, as Merkel would like to have in terms of a timeline, because that's when she said she would step down. Um, she's had some unforced errors along the way since she took the chairmanship of the party. The CDU hasn't done very well at the state elections that took place this past fall in the former East Germany. They also lost percentage points during the European election. So they've sort of joined the SPD in this downward spiral. And she's also just been caught flat-footed when it comes to dealing with young voters. There's this infamous video that this blogger, Rezo, put out there that castigated the CDU and told young voters not to cast their vote for the CDU or the SPD, the so-called Volksparteien. And that worked. The youth uh, vote went to the Greens during the European election. So, you know, right now, the leadership question has been put aside. The the coup of, um, you know, Friedrich Merz taking over the CDU has been put on the back burner. Everybody's playing nice. Akaka artfully put the leadership question at uh, on the table at the convention, and nobody dared um, go against her. But it's not over yet. But if there are early elections, this would actually be an advantage uh, for Akaka because right now there's nobody contesting the leadership at the CDU. And, and the CDU, I mean, is actually having a similar sort of battle within the party like the SPD is, right? The SPD is a battle between the sort of centrist, Schwarzenegger, fiscally conservative wing and the more leftist wing, which would like to sort of be a little bit more old school. And the CDU has its own kind of battle for positions going on. Yes. Um, I mean, the, the for AKK, timing was important this time around because at the party convention that was just held a week ago, um, the leadership question was not on the agenda. Um, you know, they only vote <clears throat> a chairperson of the party in every two weeks, every two years, rather. And, uh, and this was not the year in which that would happen. So she wasn't formally on the agenda. Informally, you know, she was on the agenda. Just as Suda explained, her leadership qualities are being questioned by a number of people, especially from the more business-oriented and the more conservative parts of the party. Um, and so it was all about speeches. And then she took the stage and she did something actually quite remarkable. She openly, even though she was not you know, up for for re-election re in that comment. She 
posed the leadership question. She put it on there and said, okay, if you guys don't want me, you know, you got to expose yourself. You got to come forward and challenge me. And that did not happen. That was a moment of strength for her. Um, also by exposing and making public the inner warfare that everybody knew about. Um, and so she kind of, you know, took the offensive. And I think that was the strong moment. The question as to how long this is going to last is completely open. But because the SPD has now embraced a more left-leaning kind of course, uh, and this might lead to the end of the government, her moment actually might come quicker than expected. The CDU was expecting for the SPD to go play the safe game, vote in Olaf Scholz, stay in the GroKo, and that would give, have given them a lot more time to sort out the leadership question in the Conservative Party. And now they might have to actually put this, you know, on the fast track. And that could be to Akaka's advantage because the others are not ready to completely challenge her yet. They haven't even sorted out who is going to be the one who's going to stab her in the back. So, um, you know, everything is in motion on all sides. And all of this, just a final sentence is actually, of course, part of this, what I call the slow-burning revolution of the German party system. We haven't talked about the Greens yet or about the AfD, which we tend to do in the German context a lot. There is something profoundly changing in this party system. And, you know, these travails that the two former, you know, big parties have at the moment uh, are just a symptom of that. There's something much bigger going on in the background. Yeah, you mentioned the Greens, right? One of the bigger things going on is that the the polling numbers for the Greens are are basically a sort of reverse image of what's been happening with these um, SPD. The Greens used to be the sort of smaller party that would often then join a coalition with the SPD. And now the numbers are almost reversed. The, the Greens are are polling at numbers that look like a big, you know, Volkspartei, uh, as you said, a sort of big base party. And the SPD's numbers are making it look like a kind of, you know, established fringe party. So it's, it's quite interesting. What does this mean, though, in terms of, you know, Germany in the world, Germany in Europe, any kind of global German role for next year? Well, unfortunately, I think we're back into the same situation of everybody's waiting for Germany because of an election. Um, it seems like we've been in these cycles so often, and we're going to enter a period again of having Germany sort itself out domestically before the big things can happen in Europe. But of course, you know, France is also now stepping up because they've waited for so long for Germany to sort out its um, housekeeping um, politically. Um, and I fear that they're going to have to wait a little longer. The good news is, I mean, I think it's kind of getting interesting, as Jan mentioned. Um, there's actually now differentiation among the parties. For so long, the SPD and CDU blended together. And German voters may be nervous. Actually, a majority of Germans like the GroKo. They like this grand coalition. It offers stability. It's status quo. And things are going well economically in Germany. On the other hand, I mean, it may be good for stability, but for German democracy, it's probably better that there's a clash in terms of what the parties stand for. At the end of the day, voters probably everywhere want choice. And right now, the choice is not clear when you differentiate between the two established parties. Jan, you're similarly thinking we're going to see a lot, of, uh, a lot of nothing in terms of German leadership beyond Germany? Yeah, I think for the time being, don't expect any major forays coming from Germany, any initiatives or big, you know, uh, visionary proclamations. Um, what you see, however, is um, I think some behind the scenes sorting of, of, of future possibilities, because everybody knows that this government sooner or later will have to come to an end. And the most likely kind of combination afterwards might be uh, a coalition of the Conservatives with the Greens, 
not entirely sure, of course, at this point, but not entirely, you know, unlikely anymore. As a, as a numbers game, it looks... Like the numbers game is there, but also ideologically you can see how some sort of deal between the two is being thought, at least, with the Conservatives asking probably for a bit more of a forward-going foreign policy, also on the military side, and the Greens obviously putting the main emphasis on climate issues and, you know, with some, you know, business policies scattered in between. And some people are already talking about some sort of big bargain between the two, you know, where the Conservatives get their foreign policy and the Greens will get their climate stuff. Now, this is a simplified version of things. Everything is endlessly more complicated. But I think everybody is already looking at what's possible after the next vote. And and I don't think that anybody's going to put major initiatives on the table just now because they all know it's not going to fly anyways. Let's wait and spend the ammunition for afterwards. Mm-hmm. Certainly, the everybody seems to be waiting for the um, you know so-called black-green government. People thought it could have happened perhaps after the election in 2017, but the numbers weren't there. The only risk is that if this were to happen, it is still sort of an unnatural pairing. Although there could be a grant bargain that's um, hashed out, You know, the AFD is waiting in the wings, and they actually had a relatively good party convention last week. It went over smoothly. Not the totally radical figures in the party didn't take over. Nonetheless, they're still shunned here as a party. But And, um, you know, the former functionary Gowland had basically said that, you know, the, the CDU will have no choice but to eventually vote for us. And that's what they're waiting for. So, you know, things are very fluid in the political party system. There's finally movement. We just have to see if uh, parties like the SPD could get it's it's mojo back if the FTB has a you know a chance of also maybe becoming actually the natural junior partner for the CDU so things are still wide open i think there's maybe one little element that we need to add and that's the east west divide uh, because political dynamics in in those two parts of the country which are still fairly distinct from each other um, work out differently. In the East, uh, the possibility of the Greens and the Conservatives forming a coalition for many voters is a nightmare um, because they believe that this is, you know, too you know, left-leaning, too uh, urban, modern, postmodern, this kind of thing. Uh, whereas in the West, this is a profoundly popular kind of option, even with you know, with fairly mainstream people who 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 are um, who would have never considered this possible five, six, seven years ago, and so two parts of the country with two very distinct, different political cultures, and so what might make sense strategically for Western strategists in the country might not make sense at all in the East. You can see this in the electoral returns of the AfD, but also in that of the Greens, you know, which are very popular in the West, much less popular in, in the East. But the AfD is actually, you know, vice versa. So, um, you know, with all of those ideological positioning, you also have to keep in mind that we have profound regional differences um, and and uh, in a way that adds another layer of, 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 of difficulty to the whole analysis of all of this. And this is why a lot of people at this point, uh, you know, even if elections were tomorrow, uh, would not, you know, bet too much on the actual numbers that we have here now. They say it's all too unpredictable at this point. All too unpredictable. One final question, Merkel. I mean, she's still the chancellor of Germany, she almost seems like a figurehead at this point, right? I mean, what's going on with that? Is she there more than we know it? Is she directing things from the sidelines? Or is she, in fact, just kind of the the figurehead giving us the impression, you know, that there's still a leader, that there's still something cohesive, but in the meantime? I think with Merkel, it's safe to say that she's always more there than is publicly visible. 
She is 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 a master politician. She is stronger within the party than many believe that has actually consistently been the case throughout her reign. And she was always underestimated. And it's weird how people even 14 years into her reign still underestimate her. But at the same time, I think she has removed herself even more you know, from the public debate. This is partly because she wants to give the stage to her to her heir apparent, to uh, Karen Bauer, who's now the head of the CDU, and wants to be chancellor, so Merkel wants to give her space. But at the same time, I think she also actually enjoys this kind of almost presidential, you know, look that she has obtained. Her focus will be on the second half of next year. If she's still the chancellor at that time, she will be the rotating president of the European Union for half a year, starting in July of 2020. She has pretty big plans, and that's going to be her last big international show. And I think for her, that's a, a heritage thing. Uh, you know, she wants to leave this, 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 this stage on a high note. And I think that's what her aspiration is. Uh, but never underestimate her. She's often capable of coming in, uh, solving an issue, you know, just because she, she's actually quite a, a masterful tactician and negotiator. Um, hats off to Chancellor Merkel for, you know, looking and seeing that her time was up last year and stepping down and leaving the space for her successor. I mean, she is a very popular figure here in Germany, even though um, her reputation was definitely knocked during the migration crisis in 2015. And that will probably be one of the low points when people look back and her on her tenure here in Germany. But she's certainly, you know, she's going to make the history books and um, her role globally as well. You know, she enjoys recognition from all over the world, and she's definitely done a lot to elevate Germany's status in the world too. So, you know, we're not gonna say goodbye to Merkel right away, but she's definitely exiting the stage slowly and gracefully. Thank you very much, Suda. Thank you very much, Jan, for uh, coming in and trying to explain Germany to us. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. The show is produced by Zachary Tarrant. The hosts are Peter Sparding, Rachel Tausenfreund, and me, Sydney Simon. 